You're listening to the Wesley Seminary Podcast out of Wesley Seminary at Iowa. Your host today is Dr. Aaron Perry, Assistant Professor of Pastoral Care. What did you eat for breakfast? How do you know? What did you eat for breakfast yesterday? What did you talk about with your spouse or children or friends? What did you read? What video did you listen to? And what did the person say? All of those are questions of history. Today, we're going to talk to Nathan Finn. Nathan is the author of History, a Student's Guide, published by Crossway Publications. It's part of the Reclaiming the Christian Intellectual Tradition series. We've talked about a number of these books from this series and the Wesley Seminary podcast, but I think today you'll find interesting as Nathan introduces to us some of the uh, finer points of history, a difference between history and the past, a difference between how we use history in popular and everyday language and how we do history as a discipline, even how pastors and spiritual leaders do history as a kind of spiritual discipline, not only for themselves, but also with their parishioners as part of their spiritual formation. In today's episode, you're going to hear us talk about different definitions. You're going to hear us talk about why history matters. You're going to hear talked about a posture of love towards history as well. Thanks so much for tuning in. Stay tuned for a word from our sponsors and then enjoy the podcast. We are Wesley and you belong here. My name is Victoria Borum and I am Wesley. I'm Lenny Lucchetti and I am Wesley. My name is Julius White and I am Wesley. Hi, I'm Tina Shappett, and I am Wesley. We recognize this beautiful diversity that the Lord has called together that is Wesley. My name is Corey Merritt, and I am Wesley. I am Wayne Brown, and I am Wesley. I am Colleen Durr, and I belong here. You belong here too, because we are Wesley. Welcome to the podcast, Nathan. We're grateful that you are with us. Thank you very much for the invitation. So let's jump in here. And I have people on the the podcast who are able to complicate some concepts that we otherwise take for granted, right? We kind of operate with a a working knowledge of the use of the word history. And yet it's one of those things, whenever you scratch a little bit, the surface uh, gives way and it becomes a pretty deep concept and a pretty deep idea. So let me just start out by asking you, what is history? So there's probably lots of different ways that one could legitimately define history, but I think that there are two ways that are the most common. One of them is what I call the person on the street definition of history. And for the person on the street, the history is simply whatever happened in the past. And so at some point, uh, Paul Revere warned that the British were coming, and that's history. At some point, Martin Luther King Jr. uh, gave his I Have a Dream speech, and that's history. History is simply the past. I think that's how most people use the word history. For those of us, though, who are in the professional guild of historians or those who maybe are the types of writers who write biographies or even popular history for a living, the way that they would define history is not just not simply to say it's the past, but it's our interpretation of the past or our best effort to reconstruct and interpret the past. And the reason that those of us who are professional historians give that caveat 
is because there's all kinds of things about the past that we don't know and that we may never know because there's just not any evidence that's lingered about the past. And so the discipline of history is uh, our best effort to reconstruct and interpret the past. Uh, and of course, the past is what everybody else calls history. So that's where you see the two different types of definitions coming into play. So why would history uh, matter? You talk about being part of a professional guild, and we can kind of imagine why it would matter for those who have linked their their living and maybe just, just deep personal interest and their educational journey to history, right? They're, they've got a vested interest in it, maybe, or at least a personal interest. But I'm thinking about, you know, spiritual leaders, pastors, people who are engaged in the spiritual formation of people. Why would history matter to them? So I think there's at least two different big reasons why history matters. I think one of them applies to everybody in general. So it would include those who are in roles of spiritual leadership. And, and that's simply the better that we understand the past, the better it enables us to understand the present and to think as wisely as we are able about the future. So I'm thinking here of the famous quote that's been attributed to numerous different people uh, that, you know, those who don't know history are doomed to repeat it. Uh, and, and, and it's a, uh, pithy saying, but there's a lot of truth to that. So there's a lot of wisdom in the past. And so I think just for humans in general, uh, the more we know about the past, that's, that's a tool that we bring to the table whenever we think about the present. Uh, but then maybe going a step deeper with those who are in roles of spiritual leadership, I think history would also matter for us uh, because we believe deeply that history is closely connected to God and his providence. And so we believe that as Christians that, you know, there's God, the Lord Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth, and he's the creator of all things. And in some way, uh, he's providentially uh, in control of all things. And different Christians are going to debate the finer points of what it means that God is control of all things. But uh, this is a, a general biblical truth that we see. And so for those of us who are Christians, that idea that history is the working out of the Lord's providential plans for all of creation in such a way uh, that's for his glory and for our good, uh, that's, a, that's a precious promise. I mean, that, that's, a, that's a wonderful idea that's a great encouragement to believers. And, uh, and for those of us who preach, uh, it's an idea that preaches, if you will. And, and so history reinforces that uh, that God is there and that he's not silent and that he's in control and that one day he's going to make sense of all these things uh, in a way that's going to cause us to worship him. And, and so I think that if you might think about it this way, that first way uh, that history matters is a common grace reason that history matters to everybody, including Christians. But I think that second way, it's a, it's a special grace sort of way that, uh, that history matters, that it's a precious promise to Christians that can help to fuel our spiritual life and help to empower us in ministry as we seek to serve others. When you talk about history and kind of those, those bigger and broader ways of uh, God's providence being worked out 
in in time and and unfolding over time and we can look back and and kind of see these big moves that that seem to happen and and how god may have been active in it and that's the work of historians right a person looking back and doing that kind of work can be considered a kind of historian uh it makes me think about some of the work i used to do as a as a pastor and even can do from time to time uh with students and and as a pastoral figure in their lives at least uh they would often learn to read their own stories with God as a key agent. And, and they would tell stories and they would give accounts that I couldn't disagree with because they were their own, right? Like I wasn't there and it wasn't my, it wasn't my role to pick these stories apart, but they may have found God to have been active or God to have had a certain um, posture or, or disposition in their story that I thought, you know, that just doesn't that doesn't line up with scripture, right? There's something about their theological interpretation of their story that doesn't align. And whenever that would happen, then there's kind of this gentle maneuvering of of discerning God's work and will in their life that that tries to draw them uh, deeper into account of their own history in a way that's more faithful with scripture. So they're starting to see God, not maybe in a, in a, a, too simplistic a way, or even in an an unfaithful way, but in a way that's more uh, in line with who he's revealed himself to be in Jesus and, and how we would anticipate the Holy Spirit working in their own lives. Now, I think that that's good pastoral practice, but that seems to me different than what one would be doing whenever a historian would be doing whenever they're reading big moves of history. How does one think historically then with God in the mix, right? How does one think about the big moves of history with with God in the mix, knowing that not everybody would agree with what those moves of God may or may not be? Well, not only would not all Christians agree about this, but you've just opened up the big question uh, that looms in the field of history uh, for those who are followers of Christ and also attempting to be faithful historians. So we have this massive sort of family conversation among historians about what's the best way to reconcile faith and history, or what's the best way to reconcile providence and history. And there's really two different extremes. So let me start with that. Um, Extreme one is to do what I call preaching through history. And so you have such a robust view of providence that every little thing that's happening, God did that and you give a theological interpretation to that, and you immediately try to bring that to bear on people's lives. It's very pious motivations behind it. Uh, the pro- and, and often we look to scripture as kind of the paradigm. You know, With scripture, we have this inspired history that's uh, provided for us, and then there are interpretive tools that are there with scripture. And so folks take kind of the way we look at bi- biblical history, if you will, and they bring that right into uh, extra biblical or post-biblical history. And and the problem with that is, with biblical history, we have other textual clues that help us to understand why things happen the way that they did. Uh, We don't have those textual clues to help us understand everything in the past since the time of Scripture. And so while I think that folks mean very well when they're preaching through history, uh, sometimes they preach in ways I'm not comfortable with because I'm not sure it jives with Scripture. I think the other extreme is to kind of give lip service to the idea that that God is out there and he's in control and he's behind history, but to talk about history in such a way that we almost implicitly uh, argue for a closed universe. And so 
uh, you know, God's out there in kind of the Vegas deistical sense, maybe, uh, but, but we're almost hyper hesitant to say, this is what God has done, or this is how God has worked whenever we talk about history. And, uh, and I think that that's the other extreme. And you find Christian historians very committed to both of those extremes. Uh, one maybe being overly preachy, uh, the other maybe being overly influenced by secular approaches to history while still thinking that God is ultimately behind it in some way. And uh, the devil in the details for the Christian historian is trying to find something in between these two extremes that recognizes that uh, we are not inerrant interpreters who are able to always say absolutely clearly, this is how God was at work in that historical moment. Uh, but also say at the same time that, that as believers, we really do believe God was at work, even if we can't figure it out, even if it's uh, Genesis 50, 20 moments that what, what man meant for bad, God meant for good sort of situations. Uh, we can't always figure those things out. So when I look at the second great awakening, it's relatively easy for me to think I know how God was at work in those areas. So I might lean a little bit more towards the preachy sort of version of history. But whenever I look at what happened with American slavery, uh, God forbid uh, that I should try to say in very clear ways without any nuance, this is how God was at work in slavery. Uh, even though I think ultimately there were ways that God worked through slavery uh, to bring about his purposes in ways that, that we have glimpses into. Uh, but, but I would never say that God moved in slavery in precisely the same way that God moved in the first or second great awakening. And so this is why it gets tricky to talk about history. And, and those are two very big things. We're talking about revival and we're talking about this great moral issue. What about mundane? What about mundane history? I mean, how do we decide how God was at work in uh, the rise of the technology that brought about modern tractors? Or how do we decide how uh, God was at work uh, in the election of a state representative who served in California for two years and wasn't a part of any consequential votes while she was serving. I mean, there's just all kinds of other things that they, they matter in everyday life, uh, but we don't come to them with these great big biblical questions. And whenever we start thinking about mundane history, then we say, oh, okay, I can see why maybe it's tricky to try to preach through that and overly spiritualize it. Or on the other hand, to just act like it doesn't matter at all and it's not part of God's plan. We need something in between preaching through history and a functionally deist view of history. And, uh, and as historians, we have loads and loads of fun debating that. And frankly, we bring our theological cards to the table whenever we have those conversations because the way that uh, our ecclesial traditions shape the way that we read scripture uh, and that we think about these uh, systematic theological questions uh, we bring that to the table whenever we debate how to interpret faith and history. Well, you've really introduced a number of concepts that are really helpful whenever I think of the pastor as historian and doing history with some of their parishioners as they're maybe doing these pastoral conversations, right? The self-awareness of the pastor is vital. They have to know how they would be naturally inclined to see God in their own uh, in history and, and involved in the in the world. They would need to be aware of their own story, right? How, how do they see God at work in their own story? Um, what does it mean for God to be involved right. in the mundane since most of our lives are not going to make history books, you know, right? They're not going to be written down by other people. We're not going to be researched for the interest that we generate. And 
beyond that, most of our lives are not worth our own writing down, right? Even if we do journal, we probably don't, there's lots that we leave out. There's lots that we don't journal. So there's the mundane of the mundane and how is God involved in that? And yet, even as we were praying before this uh, podcast started, we're, we're grateful that God sustains it all. So there's nothing mundane that happens that God is not sustaining and allowing to come into being, at least by his uh, underlying sustenance uh, with all this. So there's, there's a number of, of pieces, right? The the self-awareness of the pastor, their own theological traditions and commitments, their understanding of providence, their understanding of the sustaining work of the Holy Spirit, and then helping another person to start to read their own story with theological lenses, right? How do we read our own story as a place where God's will is unfolding? God's will in light of Christ and uh, bringing the person themselves under the authority of Christ. How is, how is God at work in that story? One of a uh, theologian that I enjoy reading, Will Willem and pastoral theologian, he, he talks about uh, us laying our own story next to the story of the gospel and seeing how they, they uh, the story of the gospel can be laid over top of our own story. Sorry, how the gospel story of the gospel can be laid over top of our own story. And that kind of, uh, it does fill in gaps, but not in a way that is like, making um, simple answers, not in a way that's making moves that are really facile to explaining what otherwise might be a complex issue. So let me ask my question, my next question with this in mind, right? This can feel like a kind of, maybe somebody hears that phrase about, about laying the story of the gospel over our own story, and that can feel like a, a rewriting of a person's story. And I think in a lot of ways it actually is, right? Because the story, a person's own story, a person's own history uh, is a matter of interpretation. There are, there are interpretive elements that we have to give to it, but I don't want to do that in a way that is uh, completely remaking it and making it something that it actually isn't. And sometimes we come across the phrase revisionist history, right? I don't, I don't think pastors should do uh, spiritual revisionist history. Okay, so all of that was meant to say, uh, you know, I don't think pastors should do that, even though we might be tempted to, or our parishioners might be tempted to do spiritual revisionist history. Um, it, one of the things that you, you comment on the book, though, is that you say that historians rewrite history all the time. And so I was thinking about, well, there, maybe there's a connection between these things, right? The, the work that historians do to kind of rewrite history and the work that pastors might do to, to faithfully rewrite history in their parishioners' lives. So let me, let me just start by asking you this question. Um, what do you mean when you say that historians rewrite history uh, all the time? So I'm, I'm definitely thinking of history in the sense of our best efforts at reconstructing and interpreting the past, not what happened in the past. What happened in the past happened whether we know about it or not, and, uh, and, and how much we know about it is going to vary from event to event. So I'm thinking about uh, the practice of history, reconstructing and interpreting the past. And in that sense, even though I know the phrase revisionist history makes people nervous, uh, and understandably so, because it's so often abused, uh, every historian is a revisionist historian. Uh, because every historian is building upon past interpretations, and as new evidence comes to light, historical evidence, uh, nuancing and refining those past interpretations, and sometimes rejecting those past interpretations whenever there's new evidence that comes to light that shows us that we were actually wrong in how we thought about things in the past. And so this is why it can be kind of tricky to be a historian, uh, because 
we make all of us certain assumptions about the past based on what we heard or read or were taught at one time. Uh, but the study of that particular aspect of the past may continue to go on and there may be new journals that come into play or there may be uh, new writings that were unpublished that we didn't know about or uh, we may uh, find records that we thought had been lost but they had not been lost and, and whenever all that new information comes to bear uh, we have an obligation as historians to uh, rewrite history uh, not for the sake of rewriting history and certainly never to distort history, uh, but hopefully in the pursuit of truth hmm. uh, to better know what happened in the past. Uh, so to me, the difference between a good type of revisionist history, which is, I would just say is good history and bad revisionist history is, uh, are we pursuing the truth? I mean, in a world of fake news, that's a huge question, right? So are we pursuing the truth? and how we're reinterpreting the past. And then also, as Christian historians in particular, are we practicing neighbor love mm. towards past historical subjects and interpreting them in a way that they would recognize even if they disagree with us? So it's one thing for, if we could conjure up through some uh, you know, forbidden biblical practice, bringing someone back from the dead. You know, we have a witch of indoor moment right here. And we bring someone back. And, uh, and that person, if we're interpreting things they've done, they may not agree with our interpretation, but we want them to say, yeah, that sounds like me. I was there. I didn't said, the, I didn't said those things. What we don't want them to say is, who in the world are you talking about? Mm. So good revisionist history shows that sort of neighbor love. It gives people the benefit of the doubt. It interprets them in a way that they would recognize. Bad revisionist history is whenever, if we brought those people back, they would say, I don't know who you're talking about, but it's not me. I wasn't there. I didn't say that. I didn't do that. Joining us today is Dr. Nathan Finn. Dr. Finn is the author of History, A Student's Guide, part of the Reclaiming the Christian Intellectual Tradition series published by Crossway. We've gone through a number of these books on the Wesley Seminary podcast to introduce some of these topics uh, to our uh, listeners. We've discussed uh, different elements of history today. What is it? Uh, how do we engage in it? Um, Nathan, I wonder if you might be able to move towards kind of wrapping up our conversation as, as you think about the different skills and tools then that are at the historian's disposal. And you've talked about this posture of, of neighbor love towards those that we are learning about and trying to understand their, their will, their actions, their dispositions. Um, as you think about these, the, this posture, as you think about some of the skills that are at the disposal of the historian, how do you think these might apply to the person who's engaged in this kind of spiritual revisionist history? Not in a way that's retelling a person's story that's not in the pursuit of truth, but precisely in a way that helps us take a deeper approach and a more faithful approach to how God was involved and active in the, in the person's life who's kind of sorting out their own story to, to overlay the gospel on top of it. What are some of the tools that might be uh, available to the pastor that the historian uses? I would say that uh, one tool that the pastor should try to have at their disposal is marshalling as much relevant evidence as they possibly can as they try to think about those stories. 
we sometimes gravitate towards either the easiest evidence to find or the evidence that confirms our biases whenever we start out. But what we want to do is find as much information as we possibly can. So if somebody is thinking mm. about their own story and how God has been at work, uh, memory is the easiest thing to go to, but memory is also notoriously unreliable. And, and so one thing that uh, someone might do is to uh, ask others who have walked with them during that time, well, what did you see that was happening in mm. my life? And, and how would you interpret that? And maybe going back and finding whatever sort of written records might be there, you know, did their, did their name ever show up in the paper? You know, were they on the back of a milk carton? Did they keep a journal? Did they write letters to friends? Do they have copies? If they're younger, do they write emails? You know, do they still have copies of those things? And so, I mean, a, a major tool would just be availing yourself of as much, as much, evidence as possible in an effort to have as holistic an interpretation as possible and and to see the big picture and again memory is a dangerous thing so don't rely too much on memory and then i would say just practicing certain uh spiritual postures that are helpful for historians can also be very helpful for those who are in spiritual leadership uh, so interpretive humility which doesn't have to mean mushiness or conviction, a lack of conviction. Uh, but what it means is recognizing we all see through a glass darkly and we only have access to so much evidence. And we want to be careful about making definitive, absolute statements when there's not a chapter and verse that can clearly back that up. Uh, so some interpretive humility. Again, that discipline of showing neighbor love. Uh, sometimes it's neighbor love with our past self. Uh, and so showing neighbor love to that uh, that person that we are uh, interpreting. Uh, and then just uh, a commitment to communicating truth, but doing so winsomely. And so as you're putting the pieces together to uh, tell that story, uh, wanting to do so as truthfully as possible and as winsomely as possible uh, without seeking untruths on the one hand, or on the other hand, without uh, creating a hagiography. Uh, where everything is just sunshines and roses and look at what the Holy Spirit's done. Uh, you know, the Holy Spirit also works through uh, sin and suffering and destruction and death and tragedy and grief. And that's just as much as part of the story as the, uh, the so-called mountaintop experiences, if you will. Uh, and so I think practicing those sort of spiritual postures, uh, they're, they're valuable to historians. They're, value to people, they're valuable to people in spiritual leadership. And they're valuable to all of us as we think about how God may or may not have been working in our own pasts. Nathan, thank you so much for joining us today on the Wesley Seminary podcast. You bet. Thank you so much for the invitation. I really appreciate it. Thank you, listeners, for tuning in. You helped to make conversations like this possible and worthwhile. And you helped to uh, give me a chance to get to know interesting people like Nathan. Uh, so whenever I look back on today, I will have some uh, complex history to put together to see how this event came about and to do so appreciatively, not only of God's providence, but also of the way that God has worked through you. And we hope the Western Seminary podcast is helpful to introducing you to topics and resources for fruitful ministry. Today we've been covering history, but you can check out some of the other topics available through the Wesley Seminary podcast as well. As always, we would appreciate you liking and subscribing, upvoting the Wesley Seminary podcast 
on your different platforms where you access it, share it with your friends as well. Thanks to Cam Davis for his production work. Really appreciate it. And to the seminary for making this opportunity possible. Thanks so much for tuning in, everybody. Have a great day. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter under the name Wesley Seminary.